0: Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammha Sambutasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Sama sambhutasā. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammha Homage to the Buddha. The Blessed, Noble, and Fully Self-Awakened One. Can you hear me at the back there? Yeah? Loud and clear, is it? Good. Uh, This evening, I want to talk about the candour, the aggregates, which complement the talk you heard yesterday. So, the dependent origination is the human being in process. This is more a sort of a cross-section, so you can take a certain uh, moment in time, well, a bit more than a moment, and you'll always find these five aggregates. And the word itself, kanda, uh, the meaning of it is a hill, a mound. So you've, uh, you've got these five, five heaps of, uh, of uh, little mountains that we're made up of. I <laughs> can't think of the word. Uh, just to go through them quickly... There's uh, (coughs) the body, rupa. Uh, I'll just give the Pali for one or two of you who uh, are into that. Um, The body, we'll come to what he means by the body in this case. Uh, Vedana, feeling. And then there's sanya, which translates as perception. Uh, But it also involves concepts. Then there's sankhara, volitional conditionings which sounds very mysterious but in fact it's just your habits and the important thing is it's driven by will so we'll come to that as well and finally vinyana which is consciousness so if we look at the first one the body the uh, first thing to ask ourselves is actually what do we know of the body what do we experience of the body, what's our experience of the body? So I'm going to give you three examples. And ask you what your experience is. The surface of the cornea is constantly turning over its outermost cells. Well, the cornea is turning over its outermost cells. Every time you shed, in, they shed into the tear film, and the entire surface turns over. In approximately, uh, give a time slot in your own mind, seven to ten days. Have you experienced that? Fancy. Approximately 2.4 million new red corpuscles are produced every, put a figure in your mind, every what, Two point four. Million red corpuscles every second. Shock, horror. The cells develop in the bone marrow, circulate for about 120 days, 100 to 120 days, and then their components are recycled by the white corpuscles and each circulation around the body takes put a figure in your mind one minute have you experienced that? final one the microbes in our stomach and intestines can make a big positive difference to our waistline brain and immune system there are about how many? have a guess, 100 trillion around the body right now, and some estimates say that each human being carries what weight of bacteria in their guts at all times, have a guess, those who don't know. One to two pounds. Every time you buy a packet of sugar, remind yourself, this is the weight of my friendly bacteria. Now, the reason I've given you these wonderful examples is because we haven't a clue. So, when we say, I am my body, what do we actually mean? So the first thing to recognize is that the Buddha is not a biologist. None of these facts come up in the discourses. And the reason is that he's not at all interested in the body or the outside world, the scientific world per se. It's obviously there, but he's not interested in it specifically. He's interested in the contents of our consciousness. And for those of you who are into a bit of philosophy, we would pigeonhole him as a phenomenologist he's about subjective experience that's what it that's where his teaching lies okay now that doesn't deny the reality of the outside world all he's saying is that whatever our experience is of the outside world it is discreet to us the world we live in is being manufactured by this organism and it's specific, peculiar to our own vision. And of course something's wrong because we're unhappy. So when he talks about the body, he's talking about how we can experience it and remember that his teaching is always about Dukkha. Now this word dukkha is very difficult to translate. It's translated too heavily as suffering because it misses out all the little irritations and niggly stuff that we get in ordinary daily life. So it's the whole, the whole gamut of human unsatisfactoriness. And that's the word that's usually used to translate this dukkha. Dukkha itself just means hard to bear. And uh, <coughs> he's only interested... His whole teaching is, is an arrow point with, these, with that word on the end of it, right? Dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and the end of it, right? And he's absolutely single-minded on how to get to the end of that suffering. So keep, keep that in mind whenever you're reading about the Buddha, reading the scriptures, that's his, that's his obsession, you might say, right? He doesn't move off that point. Of course, it moves into uh, suffering that happens between human beings in society and everything. But it's always about this unsatisfactoriness. Now, in the uh, discourse on uh, how to establish right mindfulness, we, can, we get a very clear idea of what he means by the body. And the first one is the one we're doing all the time. Uh, well, it's our practice, which is the uh, mindfulness of the, of the breath. And um, the breath itself is neutral, of course, but right there, just in contacting the body as we experience it, we can develop mental states. So, using the body in order to create mental states, calm, peaceful states. But more than that, we're using the breath to perceive these three characteristics. Because the way we're actually looking, the way we are perceiving the world, there's something wrong with it. It's in the it's in the very way that we are perceiving the world that the problems are, are being created. And he's very clear as to what we should be investigating, and that's why we keep reiterating it. Uh, how we create suffering, the craving, impermanence, and not self. Okay? But you can, you can actually liberate yourself completely from all suffering by just observing the breath. That's how important it is. And the next part uh, <coughs> are the four postures. So the four basic postures are the sitting, the standing, the walking and the lying down. And that is all to do with your meditation, right? That's when you're actually practicing um, uh, the lying down posture, which some of you uh, might uh, practice at some time in, because of illness or whatever. Uh, the little trick, in case we've forgotten to tell you, is when you lie down to comfortable, you keep your hand up like this, you see. Every time you drop off, the hand drops, wakes you up. It's a lovely little trick, right? Uh, so so the four postures, the way the body actually uh, uh, stands, sits, walks, lie down, that is also part of the practice, so everything about the body is about understanding uh, using it in order to become liberated from suffering right he's not interested, remember in the body per se as it's as it is uh, and then after that he he, he moves into our relationship to the body at the level of what we don't like. It's translated here as foulness. And um, he's not squeamish. He asks us to uh, review the body, the, the feet, up to the head, bounded by skin with many kinds of impurities. Heads, hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin... Flesh, sinews, bone, marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines uh, that's the lower bowels, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil on the jo- oil in the joints, and urine. What's he on about then? <laughs> so here. Uh, he's asking us to review the body by way of how we relate to it and as specifically those parts that we have a sense of disgust. And uh, towards the end of the week we'll be doing an exercise which includes that. So I'm just preparing you. So the idea is that of course as, as you get in contact with these parts of the body you're aware of that reaction. The reaction is the problem. So you're always asking yourself. Why should I be disgusted with any part of my body? Right? That's the emotional disgust. Right, the, the taste of disgust is natural. If you put something in your mouth which is off, you should it should be disgusting. You should be able to spit it out because it's going to poison you. But the emotional disgust, the ugh, when you see something which you don't like, is unnecessary. And of course, it's not pleasant. So therefore, it's part of suffering. So again, he's into... Um, undermining our suffering the next one is more to do with uh, what we've been doing this week (coughs) is going underneath the sense the the feeling to find out what the constituents are and uh, (coughs) Uh, let me see I've got them somewhere here Oh, yes. So these are your. Uh, actually, there are five elements if you consider space. So we've been looking at as you as you ent- as you go into a pain or into a difficult or into any emotion, actually any mental state, uh, mental states, the amorphous ones like. Um, Uh, You know, jealousy or or happiness is uh, more difficult to do it. But when something is grounded in the body, obviously grounded in the body, like anxiety, anger, excitement, and all that, then it's much easier to sort of delve into it, get underneath that layer of feeling, and uh, 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 experience it at 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 that level of contact where the mind touches the body. Okay, so we don't know the body. As body, we only know the body as the mind touches the body, and yesterday that's what Karen was pointing to at that point in dependent origination of contact. Right, that's the point of contact, the feeling comes afterwards. So, he's asking us to look at the earth element and where do we find it? Hairs on the head, nails, teeth, uh, flesh, sinews, uh, heart, liver spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, stomach, excrement, and so on. So it's anything which is solid and can be grasped. And the water element is what is fluid or cohesive or elastic, that sort of elasticity. So there he's talking about bile and phlegm, blood, sweat, uh, um, uh, tears, uh, saliva, uh, and so on and so forth. And in other words, it's what's fluid, but uh, what's fluid is also has that sort of uh, elasticity to it. Yeah? Then there's the fire element, which is. Um, to do with anything, to do with heat, but it's also to do with exhaustion and stuff like that. So it's what, what one has eaten and drunk, consumed, chewed, and whatever other internal to the individual which is heated or warm, which produce, and is the product of grasping. So in other words, uh, when we look at these things, it's to see, our again, our relationship to it. Okay? And finally, the wind element, uh, which is... Uh, wind moving up and down, uh, wind in the abdomen, in the belly, uh, in-breath and out-breath, etc., etc. So that's the wind element. And the space element is uh, uh, the nose, the ear, the mouth, etc. So all these things are known as the internal element. So uh, what he's doing again is uh, beginning to deconstruct our experience. So he's using the way that we contact the body, to deconstruct our experience, to take away its sense of solidity, okay? Because that's where our delusion lies, thinking that this is me, right? This is me. This is my body. Uh, Then after that, he goes into... uh, Let me take take this away. Uh, Yes, then finally, uh, the charnel ground. So in those days, uh, bodies were just left out in the open and they were eaten by wild animals, vultures, etc., etc. So if you wanted to do meditation on on death, uh, then this was an excellent place to go. And uh, the commentaries uh, advise you not to sit windward. So, as you, sit, as you sit there, over a period of time, you can see that the body begins to become uh, corrupted, um, held together. So, first of all, you have the corpse on the channel ground, skeleton with flesh and blood, hand, held with sinews. Then you get the fleshless skeleton smeared with blood, held with sinews, a skeleton without flesh and blood, disconnected bones scattered in all directions, here, a hand, bone, and so on. And, uh, and a bhikkhu, uh, the, the meditator, uh, bhikkhu is just a monk, but it, it, uh, it, it means anybody who's reading the, the discourse, compares this body to himself. So this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from this fate. <laughs> so again, it's a case of um, using the body as a contemplation. And the contemplation of death is the most powerful of all contemplations, according to the Buddha. Uh, So it's something to uh, consider. Walking into cemeteries and knowing that there are bodies underneath these uh, plots and saying, as that body is, mine will also be. See, And just get the feel that comes up, the reaction of it. Not very pleasant, but uh, enlightening. So uh, the the sense of self, of course, uh, comes under severe pressure when death approaches. Right? It is the moment when we've got to truly let go. So any contemplation of death will bring us to that point of recognizing that this life comes to an end. Right? Actually recognizing it. Now you might think, well, that's going to make me really gloomy and depressed. But actually, the opposite happens, or I hope you find the opposite happens, that in fact you begin to treasure your life and recognize that in this short little span, we should do our best to become fully liberated from all suffering. Uh, Now, the next, so that's that's the, um, the body. So remember, he's not talking about the biological body. He's talking about how we experience the body, right? our awareness of the body and to use it that's the point he uses it to undermine our sense of i am the body the body is me i own it see like you, you might say um i have a bad leg so one minute we have a bad leg and the next minute you're not i'm not feeling very well suddenly you're 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 identifying with the body so we have this various sort of Peculiar relationships to the body. So uh, it's something that we work upon. V- uh, after, the, uh, after the information comes in of the, f- of the four or five elements, you see, then the mind uh, perceives it, begins to feel it, you might say, perceive and feel it. They happen at the same time, perception and feeling, as something pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. And at that point, we talk, we, we, we talk about feeling. So feeling can either be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. But there are, but, uh, there are these sort of lovely little discussion here by a householder called Panchakanda. And he's, um, he's discussing this, this thing with um, a Venerable Udayen. And uh, the, the, the Panchakanda says, The Blessed One has not... Uh, sorry... Uh, he, he asks him, he says, Venerable, how many feelings has the Blessed One spoken of? And the reply is, well, he's spoken of two of three feelings, a uh, feeling of pleasure, feeling of pain, and the feeling of neither pleasure nor pain. And then Panchakanda says, um, the Blessed One has not has not spoken of three feelings. He's spoken of only two feelings, the feeling of pleasure and the feeling of pain. As for the feeling of neither pleasure not, nor, no, nor pain, the Blessed One, has has spoken of it as a refined pleasure. Udayin said, Householder, the Blessed One, has not spoken of two feelings. (laughs) Yes, he has. No, he hasn't. Yes, he has. And when the the Buddha heard this about this argument, he said, Well, you can categorize feelings in as many ways as you want. It doesn't really matter. Uh, The point is to uh, begin to recognize what your relationship to them is. So we have these various categorizations. There are two feelings, which is pleasant and pleasant. There are in fact three types of feelings if you go to the middle and see the neutral ones. You can also separate them into five different feelings to do with those feelings with the body, pleasant or unpleasant, and those feelings that are caused by the mind. So remember that our technique when it comes to these two things is quite different, or at least a little different. So when it's to the body, we have to be careful. If the body actually gets a bit too painful, then we might be doing it some harm. So you move your posture. Uh, But when it's an emotional state, then we know uh, pain in the body caused by an emotional state, then we know it's better just to let that express itself, you know, and it exhausts it. And then there are uh, six feelings, depending on the senses. The sixth one being the mind itself. So that would be emotions. <clears throat> and then there are, if you want, there are uh, 18 feelings. So there, depending on the sense base, there's, there's pleasure, unple- uh, pain, and neither pleasure nor pain. And, it, and, and, and the numbers grow until you get to 108. <laughs> and that divides, be- then you take... The ones that we have, you divide them into what's spiritual, what is leading to the end of suffering, and what is not. And then finally, you can divide it into past, present, and future. Uh, and, that, and that gives you 108. So, um, again, the whole point is to separate out the sense of the feeling from the body, from, from what comes in through the body as, as the uh, basic elements. So you've got this basic, basic information coming in, and then the mind takes over. So it's gone beyond the contact between the body and mind. Into the mind. And you have this feeling. So he's separating. right? Remember he, the, the main, uh, tech, his main technique is this deconstructing. Deconstructing. Always deconstructing. Yeah. It's pulling things apart. Unpackaging it. So those are the feelings. When it comes to Sanya this is perception, Uh, whenever we experience something the mind always creates a photocopy. So that's your perception. And the more that you have of a similar photocopy, the photocopy becomes your concept. And your concepts hold your history. And every time you have a similar experience, you put your history onto that experience. So therefore, we're never actually experiencing something as if it were the first time. We're always interpreting what we're experiencing. And this is a really big hindrance in terms of our practice. Because every time we have a feeling, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just dismiss it. Oh, that's anxiety. Or that's and we'll turn away from it. We'll try and get away from it. See? That's, that would be the, 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 the attitude of the uninstructed person. Our... our Attitude of course is to simply use the word to recontact what we 're experiencing to get back down to that that before conceptual uh, photocopy and down to the original experience uh, <clears throat> so um, this again remember is completely subjective um, if I if I said to you "apple," we've all we've all got a concept of an apple, but it'll differ between us all, right? Some some might see green ones, some red and green, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Some with a sweet taste, with a sour taste, etc. So uh, these concepts are specific to us, um, and our perceptions uh, are different too. Um, you know, if there's a if there's a crash, the police get very different accounts from those who actually saw it Uh, and and our perceptions even our basic perceptions cannot be fully experienced I was walking with uh, Noreen once and uh, I looked up and I said oh those cirrus clouds the ones that are very light like like little wisps in the sky they're underneath the heavy ones and she says no they're not and I said yes they are See, (laughs) and then she said uh, no, they are higher. My father's a meteorologist. We walked on in silence. <laughs> and I glanced up and, yes, they were on top of that. Now, <laughs> well, the funny thing is that I know intellectually that Cirrus clouds are the highest clouds. But somehow I was, I was brought to believe by my perception that, in fact, they were. Underneath the uh, the um, the heavier ones, so this perception you actually believe your perception, even though part of you might even know it's wrong. Uh, a, a more obvious one, perhaps, is is just the rise and fall, uh, the rising and setting of the sun. Right? We know that we know it's not actually rising and setting, but that's how we experience it. So our perceptions and the and reality sometimes don't match. Yeah. You've sat on a train and one's moved and you thought you were moving. (coughs) You know the one next to you. And uh, this level of of mentation, of mental activity, uh, our images, our imagination, our thoughts and concepts, you can see they grow, right? They grow into art on one side. They grow into... uh, Uh, practical work on one side on the other side mathematics philosophy see it all gets up that way so uh, they're all part of our experience um, and they 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 are our vehicles of communication that's how we communicate we communicate through pictures through speaking uh, through words but you can see that they're just once removed from the way things actually are from the way we actually experience things and so these that level of mental activity is 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 understood to be just a convention it's just something we've agreed upon and of course it changes from group of people to group of people yeah from culture to culture so remember that that's our in terms of insight, in terms of the process of of you know seeing things as they really are, these are our great hindrances that's why we keep coming off the mind, coming off the mind. That's one reason for using the noting word so that at least uh, the noting word might approximate what we're experiencing, but we know it's not exactly that. So we're looking more keenly at it at what we're saying and remember that because We've been, you know, uh, it's just, just part and parcel of growing up. We associate so intimately with the intellect and with thinking and imagining that this intuitive awareness is, is sort of drowned in it. And by, by this practice, you're actually pulling this intuitive awareness out of its confusion with the imagination and intellect. And you can sometimes get that when the word is in the background somewhere. It's up there, you can, you can hear the word, you can hear yourself saying it, but you are directly in contact with what you're experiencing. So now you're, re- you're releasing this intuitive awareness from its entrapment in, 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 in concepts and imagery. And that's a necessary process for it to become to realize where its delusion lies. So that's that whole heap of concepts, imagery, etc. that we have inside us, inside our heads. The next one is Sankara, which translates, uh, if you remember, as volitional conditionings, which is basically our habits. Now, why has the Buddha parceled all that into another heap? And the reason is that all, what we've been talking about has been almost, uh, shall we say, for the most part... Has, has just happened. So you put something in your mouth, taste arises, uh, a sense of pleasure, uh, the happiness arises, etc, etc. It happens as a, as, a, as a given condition. But here, we're into an area where we've actually created it through our will. Right? And the way we do it is by joining all those feelings with the conceptual mind and then we begin to produce our stories, right? And that's so it's it's the it's the feeling plus all the conceptual perceptual stuff, uh, and it gathers this energy because you want to create something in your in, in your mind or outside, and that's where the proliferation comes. Now, for, now this prolifer- the, the use of proliferation is really referring to the mind just going off on its own little trips. But, of course, it can be guided to something which is beautiful and worthwhile, right? But using that raw material from our feelings, right? So, remember, art is about getting somebody else to experience what I've experienced through a medium, yeah? So, when I'm painting a picture of something, I'm hoping that that will bring up in the person who sees it, the experience that I've had right? same with music same with it. so it's a it's it's a, a point of communication and that's your Sankara's and of course what we're specifically interd- interested in are those habits that messes about okay the ones that are unwholesome causes trouble and of course makes everybody else miserable so it's a case of we're working with those in our practice uh, but that's a whole section within our uh, mental build-up, within our mental construct or architecture. Finally, there's vinyana, consciousness. Now, in the Buddha's time, there was uh, a huge amount of discussion going on and experimentation, both with um, uh, uh, exercises to do with concentration, self-mortification exercises a whole load of experimentation going off by what by the by the ones that were called the samanas so on one side there were the brahmins who were the priests and of the of the old Vedic system and within that tradition there was uh, um, really some uh, some mystics who began to write the Upanishads and then apart from them there were those who left the whole of the Vedic system completely and as it were went to experiment by themselves and that's where the Buddha slots in so he went to teachers (coughs) excuse me he went to teachers who had sort of exited out of that uh, Vedic Brahmanic Brahminical system and uh, uh, the, the other the other main teacher which has come to to present day, is, of course, the the leader of the Jains, the teacher of the Jains. So there was this huge discussion going on, and it would seem that one of the big entertainments of the day was to turn up on a full moon night at the local shrines, which were big parks, and hear these people debate. You know, yes, no, you're right, I'm wrong, and all that sort of stuff. A bit like Parliament. Uh, And... um, The consciousness was variously um, uh, described, variously uh, understood and um, even in the scriptures the Buddha is always talking to somebody and he's always talking to somebody from their point of view so often he's using the word in a slightly different way than he would with another person and so it's quite confusing uh, exactly what he meant by this consciousness and unfortunately uh, you basically have to choose for yourself what makes sense to you and the only one that makes sense to me personally is the fact that consciousness is like a screen upon which information arises It's, it's held for a moment and then disappears and then consciousness flashes again to hold the next piece of information and according to uh, the Abhidhamma, these, these, these flashes can only hold one information from one sense. So when you're, in, when you're at home watching a, a DVD or, or on, on Facebook or something, you're seeing something, you're hearing maybe, and, and of course you're having your biscuit. And it all seems to be happening all at the same time. Such is the speed of these consciousnesses that arise and pass away. So uh, when we are, when we're drawing ourselves down, say to the breath, when everything is very still, very quiet, and and there is just the breath, and we move towards the centre of the breath, you see, move towards the centre of the breath, and the and that stillness, that concentration comes, and there comes a point where uh, the noting has stopped, yeah, uh, and and you're just there. You might just catch this immediacy of a consciousness arising and passing away right and that would that would be a feedback to you about the nature of consciousness so uh, even today as you know consciousness is being studied and you'll often get uh, definitions of it so consciousness is the contents of consciousness but that's not one definition that comes from the from the uh, discourses one of them is basically just a screen all right, and it's just information just flashing off and on it <clears throat> now uh why does he why again does he you know split our experience into these uh five heaps because he's pointing out that everything we're experiencing belongs to this phenomenal world the world of the mind okay and what he's saying is that there's something within that mix which doesn't belong there. Okay? There's something in there which can, can liberate itself and experience something that he calls Nibbana. Nibbana translates as unshackled. It also means uh, without desire, but the, tran- the better translation away is unshackled from all desire, all, wi- all, all, all wantings. What is it that's unshackled? Say, what is it that's unshackled? So, as we begin to perceive these different uh, bits and pieces that we're made up of, as we begin to perceive, right? Um, uh, and remember that we're drawing this intuitive awareness out of its confusion with consciousness, with the mind, with imagery. Uh, with sensation, and we're doing it by, as it were, stepping back within ourselves. We're stepping back within ourselves, and we can see, we can feel things as objects. So remember, if something is an object, it can't be the subject. The perceiver cannot be the perceived. But then we come to this point where, in our silence and quietness, we can sense ourselves to be really this observer, it has a sort of solidity about it. The observer, the feeler. right? But of course, we're aware of that. So you can't be that either. right? So I shall leave you with a little conundrum. Okay? What we are looking for is what is looking. The great paradox is when we find it, we won't see it. <laughs> yes. So in, uh, so going over all of that, the five candors, the Buddha has, has uh, deconstructed the human being. As a subject as a subject, right as as they experience things into what you can experience directly from the body, how the mind translates that into feelings and perceptions, how we use that material to create the thought life, the imaginative life and how that moves out into the world in, in doing, in doing, yeah. And that all this is displayed moment after moment on consciousness. Yeah. And that our practice is to try to bring, try to, try to isolate from all that that, that, that power of intuitive awareness. And we do it by simply observing, simply feeling, simply experiencing whatever arises within that field of awareness. I can only hope my words have been of some assistance, that I have not created even greater confusion, and that you will, by your severe efforts, liberate yourself from all suffering sooner rather than later.